Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did these weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. Thank you, uh, Lord and God, that you have spoken, that you're, you're not a dumb God. And uh, we have ears to hear, and we pray we'd use them now as we hear you speak through your word. We pray, please, not only for ears to hear, but hearts that are ready to obey and to respond. Then would you please encourage us deeply uh, through speaking to us tonight personally and uh, in a very real way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please do sit down. Well, my own uh, welcome to, uh, to that that uh, Andy's already given you. It is excellent to see you here. Um, I've been meeting new students all week, and uh, very good to see uh, you here. And uh, indeed, the whole congregation, it's always brilliant to have you uh, here on a Sunday. Now, um, do turn uh, back in your Bible to Matthew chapter 13, and uh, page 980 is the page number that you need, really, page 980. We're going to be digging into that as we carry on looking through Matthew chapter 13, as we have been over these last uh, few weeks. 
I reckon there are a few things um, more frustrating in life than working hard, really hard, putting loads of time and effort into something, and then it all being for nothing. Have you had that experience? I um, told you last week of my newly acquired greenhouse and my amateur attempts at gardening. I really am a numpty in the garden. Uh, I like pottering around in the greenhouse, but honestly, I don't have a clue what I'm doing. I really don't. And so I've had some spectacular failures, spending hours sowing seed, putting the seed trays in just the right place, or or what I thought was just the right place, ensuring that it's not too hot and not too cold. Every morning, carefully monitoring my seeds. Monitoring sounds rather glad. I just went out to look at them. Uh, Watering them if necessary. Moving them if necessary. Day after day, checking them. Loads of time and effort spent on my jolly seeds, and at the end of all my efforts, nothing. Zip, zilch, absolutely no growth. Whole trays haven't got done a thing. Equally frustrating is getting the seeds to grow and when with the hope and expectation of something at the end of it and what follows is months of careful nurturing, seeing the seed grow, the plant come up and then no fruit. Let me give you an example. (laughs) It's a pepper plant and uh, if you look carefully, if you have binoculars, Uh, You will be able to see two peppers, but it is on the way out. Um, There we are. Hours and hours. Now, I will put it down in a moment, but uh, that is not really too bad because at the end of the day, it is just a pepper plant, and I can go down to the co-op and buy all the peppers I need. It really doesn't matter that much. But imagine that being representative of your life and of your life's work. That you've poured not hours, but years and years of your life into something, whatever it is, given the best that you had, the best years that you had, the best effort that you had, and then at the end of your life, you realise that it was worthless, fruitless. I have uh, met people like that, people who in every way look successful with a great career, materially having everything you'd want, not a financial worry in the world, lovely house, nice things, I think of one man I talked to, he was on his deathbed, literally on his deathbed. As he spoke to me, he was laying on the bed that a few days later he died in. And reflecting on his life's work, he said to me, Paul, it was all a waste of time. Listen, that was not my assessment of his life and of his work, but his. And it has to be one of the most tragic things I've ever heard. Now this evening, as we engage with two of Jesus' parables, we see that as Christians, that need never be our experience. We need never get to the end of our life and say, it was all a waste of time, ever. But if we are going to ensure that we don't have a wasted life, we have to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like. And that is what Jesus is doing in Matthew chapter 13. He is telling us parables about the kingdom of heaven. It's very obvious. You might have noticed it as Alison was reading it for us. Um, uh, Look back to verse 24, page 979. It's very straightforward. Verse 24, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 31, over the page, he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. Verse 33, exactly the same. He told them still yet another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like. These are parables about the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of heaven is like, uh, and the parable of the weeds in verses 24 to 30 
is explained by Jesus in verses 36 to 43. And so we will look at that next week. There's no point trying to work out what it says now because next week we'll see exactly what it says because Jesus will tell us what it says. But this week, as we look at the two parables in verses 31 to 33, we will discover two things about the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I've put notes uh, on the back of the uh, service order. If you want to follow along, you'll see um, the headings there. You'll see the two headings. In the kingdom of heaven, small beginnings lead to enormous growth. And then in the kingdom of heaven, word ministry, though unseen, is doing remarkable work. First then, from small beginnings, the kingdom of heaven grows to enormous proportions. Look at verse 31. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. We saw last week in the parable of the sower, if you were here, that the seed sown is the word of God, the the word about the kingdom of heaven, the word about Jesus. And in the parable of the sower last week, Jesus taught that the kingdom of heaven grows as the word of God is spread far and wide. Now here, Jesus continues this kind of theme of sowing seed, but this time the picture is slightly different. Jesus looks at one particular seed, a mustard seed, which, as Jesus says in verse 32, was considered to be the smallest of all seeds. Now look, for the professional botanist here, I dare say that you could get all technical and take issue with this. You could probably tell us about other seeds that are smaller than a mustard seed. You might even give us the Latin name for the smallest of all seeds in the whole world, but that is to miss the point. This is not a lecture on the physiology, structure and genetics of all plant seeds of the world. Jesus is just taking something that everyone knew about, the common or garden mustard seed, And it was very small. Before microscopes were invented and before most people had anything like a magnifying glass available to them, the mustard seed was probably the smallest thing that the first century Israelites had ever seen or indeed touched. And Jesus said to the crowd, many of whom will have planted mustard seeds in their own back garden, Jesus said to them, verse 32, though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it's the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. As Jesus said those words, there might well have been mustard bushes, mustard trees right there around him. They blossom with bright yellow flowers in the spring and today you can see them on the hills surrounding Lake Galilee growing to be bushes or small trees. Back then the mustard tree would have been the largest thing you'd plant in your garden as he says in verse 32. And Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. So small, yet it becomes huge. The kingdom of heaven is like that, apparently insignificant, yet it has great power for growth. Now remember what Jesus is doing in this this chapter. Matthew's gospel is a discipleship training manual. It teaches followers of Jesus, people like you and me, what to expect when we obey the last command that is in Matthew's gospel. Do you remember it? To go and make disciples of all nations. And Jesus had told his disciples to do just that back in chapter 10. He sent them out to tell people about him. But in chapters 11 and 12, the response was mixed, to say the least. People questioned Jesus, stubbornly refused to listen to him. They argued against Jesus. They rejected him. And so as the disciples had gone out to tell people about Jesus, they would have been thoroughly discouraged. They would have been left wondering why they bothered telling people about Jesus in his kingdom. Because like today, the vast majority of people want nothing to do with Jesus and his kingdom. 
And so as we tell people the message of the gospel, it seems so small, does it not? Our efforts seem so insignificant. All we're doing is speaking words, words that very few want to hear. Most of the time, it seems to make no difference whatsoever. Certainly, as far as the world around us is concerned, the kingdom of heaven seems thoroughly insignificant. Brexit, that's important. Global climate change, that's affecting us all. Terrorism or the economy or the health service or education, those things are important. They'll be discussed at the Conservative Party conference this week. But the gospel and the kingdom of heaven all feel so insignificant. I guess if you told your friends that you were coming to church this evening, some of them would have given you a strange look. Not just because it's not for them, not just because they don't agree with it, but because they wonder why you're wasting your time on something like this. Can't you think of something better to do on a Sunday evening? Are you that sad that that's all you do? I guess if you told them you were going to an Ed Sheeran concert or that you had tickets to watch Liverpool versus Chelsea in the Premiership, or even if you said you were going to stay in and work because you wanted to get a first at uni, my guess is your friends would think that was at least something worthwhile. But this seems so small. It's not just our friends who think like that. It's very easy for us to think like that too. That's the real point here. Even though we know the gospel message is the most important message in the world, still at times we are bound to think that it is small and insignificant. Because what we're doing here never features on news at 10. And as we considered last week, most of the time when we tell people they really don't want to know, That's precisely what's happening here. Here is Jesus. Do you remember the setting? Jesus preaching to thousands and thousands of people, but only a handful seem really interested. Only a few really want to know Jesus. So here is Jesus instructing his disciples, you and me, training us, telling us exactly what to expect when we spread the word of the kingdom. So that when we're tempted to think that there's something more important we could give our time to, something bigger, something more worthwhile, something more significant we could do with our lives, when we're discouraged and tempted to think that gospel ministry is a waste of our time, this parable recalibrates our thinking. Because what looks so small will in fact become huge. Just a short while after Jesus told this parable, he would be hung on a Roman cross his disciples would scatter. As he died there, there would be no one left. He died lonely on his own. And then he was buried and uh, he looked to have been defeated and the Jesus movement looked to have been snuffed out completely. Small, there wasn't anything left. But after Jesus rose from the dead, a handful gathered in a room. They were scared and frightened, still looked so small. Forty days later, 120 of them witnessed Jesus' ascension into heaven. And a few days after that, at Pentecost, as the apostles preached uh, the gospel in the power of the Spirit, those 120 became 3,000. And then the word spread, first in Jerusalem and Judea, then north to Samaria and Syria, then south into Ethiopia and around the outskirts of the Mediterranean Sea. The gospel reached modern-day Turkey before going on to Rome and then to Spain. One person has estimated that the Christian message grew and advanced at 40% per decade so that by 350 AD, 33,800,000 people, 50% of the population of the Roman Empire, declared themselves Christian. Isn't that remarkable? Today, 2.4 billion people claim allegiance to Jesus Christ. 
Verse 31, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted it in his field. Though it's the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree. After such a small start, no bigger than a mustard seed, nothing more than a preacher telling stories on a Galilean hillside. It seems so small and insignificant, but as Jesus' disciples spread the word of God to anyone and everyone, using every possible means, what we were hearing last week, speaking the word of God faithfully with sacrificial conviction, there has been the most phenomenal growth. You are part of the biggest world faith in the world, in history. I think of the story of Adoniram Judson, who in 1830, when he was just 25, left the US with his wife. I think he'd only been married a couple of days. They left to be a missionary, missionaries in Asia. He eventually arrived as a missionary in Burma, what is today Myanmar. The national religion was Buddhism. Six years after leaving the US, in April 1918, he held his first public meeting and just 15 men came along. Apparently, they didn't seem very interested by the end of it. It took Judson 12 years to see 18, that is one eight, 12 years to see 18 people converted. In 1824, an Anglo-Burmese war began. Western missionaries were viewed as the enemy and Judson was imprisoned and tortured. To cut a long story short, remarkably, he survived and was eventually released. But he suffered terribly in prison. And while he was in Burma, he not only suffered physically, but he suffered great grief too. His wife died. He married again. She died. And he married a third time. He had the heartbreak of some of his children dying. But he stayed in Burma for 37 years until his own death. And by then, 10,000 people claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. Today, 6.2% of the population are Christian. That is 3.25 million people Christian. From such small beginnings, nothing more than a mustard seed. You could barely see it. Huge tree. I could go on telling stories. Look up the remarkable story of Peter Cameron Scott who went to Kenya in, 19, in, in 1895 with 15 other missionaries. In, nine, in 1898, three years after those missionaries arrived all but one of them were either dead or had returned home it all looked fruitless but read the history and you'll be inspired by the phenomenal growth of the church in Kenya and the start of the Africa inland mission and consider how the church has grown in South Korea and China all of these things small beginnings the smallest apparently insignificant beginnings have led to enormous growth But while these stories that I tell you are, well, great to illustrate the parable, the parable isn't told to people in Burma or Kenya or Korea or China or anywhere else in the world where there is strong and populated church. That's not the point. Jesus told the parable to disciples who were seeing very small results, which is precisely our situation here in 21st century Britain. Our experience here this evening is an unusual one. Here we are in an almost full church with people of every age. What we have here is unusual in Britain today. It's wonderful. The most recent statistics tell us that on a usual Sunday in Sheffield Diocese, there are only 12,000 people in 215 Anglican churches, just under 1% of the population. 
Now, there are other churches as well. It's just the Church of England, but it makes the point. If you strip out the four large churches in the west of Sheffield, of which we are one, the vast majority of the churches in Sheffield Diocese, around 200 churches, have an average attendance of 40 people on a Sunday. And of those 40 people, the vast majority are pensioners. They will be dead in a few years' time and there will be no church left. The church in this area and all over the country is in decline. And there are at least two reasons why we don't witness this mustard seed growth. I'm going to go back to last week. The first is because the church has lost confidence in the word of God. Do you remember last week we heard clearly from Jesus that the kingdom of God grows when the word of God is proclaimed far and wide. But since the philosophical movement known as the Enlightenment that began in the late 17th century, the word of God has been undermined. The higher criticism, as it was called, of the Bible was first taught in the academic institutions of Europe and then embraced by the theological colleges in the 19th and 20th century and caused leaders of the church in the West to lose confidence in the Bible as the word of God. And so largely, you go to churches today, they don't teach the Bible. Stop spreading the word of God. Stop doing the very thing that we heard last week. Jesus says is the way his kingdom grows. It's been a disaster. Second reason we don't see this mustard tree growth is in the West is because even those of us who do believe the word of God don't scatter the word of God far and wide. We were thinking about that last week. We don't use every method we can to tell everyone we know. But that is how the kingdom of heaven grows. So if we don't do it, it won't grow. There's a further reason why we don't see mustard seed growth, but that's for next week. That's the parable of the weeds. For now, though, know that Jesus told this parable precisely for people like us in our situation. People who are not seeing the growth of the church. When it looks so small and you and I feel so discouraged and when we think no one's going to listen to me, then he tells us this parable to say it might look small and insignificant, but you are about something that is huge. You are about something that is going to be the biggest thing in the history of this planet. Isn't that wonderful? So keep at it. Because in the kingdom of heaven, small beginnings lead to enormous growth. And then second, keep spreading the word of God because the second point in the kingdom of heaven, word ministry, though unseen, is doing remarkable work. Look at verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. We move them from the world of garden plants to the bakery. You don't ever have to have baked bread though yourself to understand this parable and to know that yeast is an essential ingredient in making bread. I think virtually everybody knows that. And I guess most of us Probably all of us know that the amount of yeast that's needed to make bread rise is really very small. Here is Jesus then describing bread baked on a commercial scale though. The large amount of flour in verse 33 is, as you'll see from the footnote, 22 litres. That's enough flour to make bread for 100 people, I'm told. A huge amount of flour, but just the smallest amount of yeast is needed. Now again, then the parable is about something small, a small amount of yeast, having a big impact, bread enough to feed 100 people. But Jesus isn't just making the same point again. There'd be no point doing that. The point of this parable is a tiny amount of yeast is working through the dough, 
even though you and I can't see it. The word mixed in verse 33 is the word hid or hidden. So you see, even though the yeast can't be seen, it is mixed, it is hidden, it is having an effect. It's doing its work. And that is true of the word of God. When it's been sown, when it's been passed on, it is working to grow the kingdom of heaven, even when you and I can't see it doing that. What an encouragement that is to people like you and me. We tell our friends the gospel and nothing seems to happen. You have that experience? But later, sometimes years later, they become Christians. You didn't see anything happening. You told them the word of God. Didn't see anything happening for years. Nothing going on. No, no, no. The yeast is working through the dough. I can think of a couple of people I know who are wonderful Christian people. Heard the gospel years and years and years ago. Showed no real interest at the time. They looked more like those people from the parable of the sower who who fell away for one reason or another, but then years later they became Christians and blossomed. I asked one of them what made the difference, and he said to me, you challenged me on my understanding of the resurrection of Jesus. From the Bible, you showed me the evidence that Jesus bodily rose from the dead. And when he said that to me, I couldn't for the life of me remember that conversation I'd apparently had with him. Quite the opposite. I remember thinking that nothing I'd said had made any real difference. But it seems like yeast, unseen by me, the word of God was hidden in him, working through him and changing him. Isn't that wonderful? I couldn't see it in the time or for years later and often we don't see it. And often we don't see it at all because the kingdom of heaven is about much more than just church growth or an individual growing. You see, the kingdom of heaven is about much more than we we can see in this life. The kingdom of heaven will be finally and fully realized on the day when Jesus Christ returns in glory. And on that day, everything will be brought under his rule. King Jesus ruling over his kingdom. Then and only then will we see how large the kingdom of heaven is. Large as a huge mustard tree. Only then will it be revealed to us that the word of God had been working even though we didn't see it. And I think that is the point of the birds perching in the branches of the mustard seed in verse 30, mustard tree in verse 32. That picture of a huge tree and birds nesting in it is not a new thought to Jesus. It's it's an image that's used three times in the Old Testament, and I put all the references on there if you want to look at it later on. In Ezekiel chapter 31, verse 6, it's describing Egypt which was at the time a great nation, pictured as a tree where birds live in the shade of the tree, and the birds are the, are the nations. A great nation, Egypt, a place for the nations to be protected. A similar picture is in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 12, again the reference is there, describing Kim, King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, Babylon. A great nation that ruled over the nations of the world. Same picture, you see. Third time it comes in Psalm 104. Simply the picture of a great tree with birds nesting in it symbolizes a great kingdom ruling over the nations. But those other nations eventually came to nothing. Egypt and Babylon crumbled. But the kingdom of heaven is different. It will be an everlasting kingdom, an eternal kingdom, where King Jesus will rule forever over people from all nations. 
These parables then are not just about us seeing growth in the church now, although we have seen that in China and Burma and Kenya and Korea and so on. That is the growth of the kingdom. But these parables are pointing us towards the kingdom of heaven when it is fully consummated. On the day when Jesus will be seen to be king, acknowledged as king and ruling as king over all the nations. And as the word of God is sown now, more and more people are being poured into that kingdom, whether we see it or not. The word is doing its work, building an eternal kingdom that will last forever. And so when you and I are about that work, that kingdom work of, as best we can, telling other people about Jesus, spreading the message of the kingdom, when we're about that work, we are about the most significant work in the universe because it will last forever, beyond death, into eternity. And when you give your life to that work, you need never have that experience, that frustrating tragedy of working hard all your life and saying, for what? If we give ourselves to the growth of the kingdom of heaven, then we are working for something that lasts. Actually, it is the only thing that lasts. So Christian here tonight, if you are discouraged, read these parables and keep going. Keep sowing the word of the kingdom about Jesus. All of you students meeting new students, tell them you're Christian. Oh, I know loads of them will think you're mad. That's encouraging, isn't it? But tell them anyway, and some of them will respond. And you'll be into a work that really matters. That's how to make the most of your next three years at uni. Keep sowing the word of the kingdom about Jesus. It will look small and insignificant. You won't always see what's happening. But you're about something that's really big. The biggest project in the universe and then a word to those who are not Christians tonight as we close look with me at verses 34 and 35 Jesus spoke all these things to the, par- to the crowd in parables he didn't say anything to them without using a parable so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet I will open my mouth in parables I'll utter things hidden since the creation of the world very briefly, as we considered a couple, of weeks, a couple of weeks ago, parables are not easy to understand. But when we ask Jesus to give us insight, when we really want to know the kingdom of heaven, Jesus reveals to us the greatest truths in the world. Or as he puts it in verse 35, he reveals things hidden since the creation of the world. Here in these parables, we begin to discover the very meaning of life itself. And you see, as Jesus told these parables to huge crowds, remember, to crowds of thousands and thousands of people, to many of them, most of them, it was like nothing more than a night in front of the telly. A story about sowing a mustard seed in your garden and then a story about baking bread. It was like watching Gardener's World and then flicking the channel to watch Mary Berry and the Great British Break Off. I know it's not Mary Berry anymore, it's some other woman, but anyway, it's the only one I could remember. But it was just like that, a gentle evening's entertainment. That's how most people viewed it. Thousands of them listened to these stories and as the crowd dispersed, they hardly gave it another thought. (laughs) He was interesting. Good storyteller, Jesus, isn't he? 
But others, but only a few, who really wanted to know what this was all about, they came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, help me see the point. Help me to get it. And they discovered from Jesus, verse 35, things hidden since the creation of the world, the very meaning of life itself. So if you're not yet a Christian, thank you so much for coming this evening. It's very good of you. And we hope you've enjoyed it. And the most important thing you can do, I think, tonight is to say to Jesus, just pray to him, I do want to know what life is about. Please show me. And if you'll do that, you'll not only discover the meaning of life, because we already saw a couple of weeks ago, he always answers that prayer. You'll not only discover the meaning of life, but you will have purpose for the rest of your life. And you too need never get to the end of your life and on your deathbed, utter with frustrating regret, it was all a waste of time. You need never do that. Isn't that wonderful? Let me pray for us. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for these uh, fantastic little parables that um, seem, you know, in some ways just like a couple of little stories. But as we think about them and as you give us insight into them, they become wonderful and magnificent. We thank you very much that there is meaning in life as we invest in your kingdom, knowing that it is the thing that will last and it's going to become huge, already is. And so we pray that... um, in those times when we try desperately to tell people about Jesus but they don't want to hear, we keep at it, knowing that we are about the most important thing in the world. And for those who are not yet Christians here tonight, we pray, please, for them. Help them to have uh, the courage to come to you and say, please show me. And then in your kindness, would you show them very clearly uh, who you are, what you're about, And may they too be part of this glorious kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.